I try to do a, a track stand a little bit too close to uh, streetcar tracks, and I don't. Oh. Do not recommend it. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. And this week, we're going to be doing another I've been thinking about episode. And there's a couple interesting topics that came up. Uh, The first being uh, something that's very near and dear to our hearts, but uh, the impact of swearing on pain. So if you're offended by the word fuck, uh, you should probably have stopped listening about 10 seconds ago. <laughs> For your benefits, we will have marked this episode as explicit on the, uh, on the podcast app. Yes, so, you know, yeah. those of you with, with sensitive ears, um, you know, fair warned, be the, says I. Joking, joking aside, um, there's a lot of interesting connotations here. So the the act of swearing in general is something that um, it it's taboo for a lot of people. So it's becoming in some places more culturally acceptable. In other places, maybe it hasn't changed much. Um, so church is a good example. I I would hope you're not going to hear that too much in church, but um, it's it's got some interesting properties because your brain. Well, it's just the power of your brain, really, that amazes me. But your brain goes some funny places when you start swearing. So there have been a few recent studies that actually looked at the uh, the impact of swearing and how how it can address pain. So the reason I'm bringing up pain specifically is I'm thinking of interval workouts, which, um, if you're doing them properly, should hurt quite a bit. Um, and the last one I did, which was a uh, actually my first proper hill repeat set at 1400 meters of elevation. Um, it's a good thing there weren't any walkers around because, uh, they would have been hearing some colorful language. <laughs> so, or at least no nuns, right? Yeah. Th- yeah. There's not, not any nuns on our, on our hill, fortunately. Um, so that would have been fortunately for the nuns, right? Sure. Yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> yes, I would have no problem with nuns as neighbors. I'm sure they make excellent neighbors. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was um, just very interesting to hear about this study. And full credit goes to uh, one of my favorite radio shows and podcasts, uh, Quirks and Quarks on CBC Radio. So they they had actually brought up this uh, this topic, and um, it was kind of inspiration for us to talk about it as well. So I dug up a few papers and. One of the the first ones, and again, what they referenced on Quirks and Quarks was uh, it's called swearing as a response to pain, um, and it's basically assessing the pain pain killing effects of uh, of swearing. So the test that they did was dipping your hand in cold water, uh, or sorry, not dipping, but submersing your hand in cold like ice water, so three degrees, and basically this is something that's not going to damage you, but it is not comfortable at all. So it doesn't seem like it's that cold until you try and hold your hand in there for three or four minutes. But the the test that they did was, um, and this is, you know, all the creativity or all the, the props go to them for creativity here. So they had a couple different words that they used. So um, fuck being the, the obvious one, but they had some words that sounded similar. So fouch, and then they had a funny word, twizz pipe. Um, which is, <laughs> <laughs> you, can you use that in a sentence? Uh, then? uh, 
you know, that's uh, maybe we'll have to come back to that. I need some time to think about that. <laughs> Sorry, put you on the spot. Go smoke a twist pipe. Um, so the, uh, I guess like what they were looking at was just what happens in your brain or at least maybe not what happens in your brain, but what happens as an effect. And they found that, um, saying fuck was actually, I think it was a 30% increase in pain threshold, wow. um, and pain tolerance. Um, so they have it as two different metrics. They measured it slightly differently, but, uh, but basically you could have your hands submerged longer, uh, when saying that compared to the the funny words, so fouch or twiz pipe. Um, so there's something that your brain does that uh, when you're swearing, it just goes a certain place. It just releases some kind of stress. Hmm. And I know that exercise and swearing, um, for me at least, they they often go together, especially doing a hard interval. Um, so I would imagine that uh, there's a lot of people out there who have seen and experienced the same thing. So how about some of your training, Michael? If thinking back to it, I usually will 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 drop those f bombs at the end of hard intervals, just as a yes. as a release. Um, but I've uh, I've heard similar things. Now it's interesting that they've done that they did this as a sort of a you know it's an it's the the experimental setup here was analogous to a time to exhaustion uh, test physiological test in um, mm -hmm. some literature, like some physiology studies would have done. So um, I wonder if it if you could, if there would be a similar effect to, you know, performance in a time trial. So this is exactly the, we had a micro conversation about this with, um, with Erica when she was on the show uh, and her, um, her experiment was a time trial. So those are, those tend to be a little bit more reliable, but the fact that there's such a difference in, um, in performance suggests that it is certainly performance enhancing. And this falls under the category of it can't hurt. <laughs> so it's not as if you're, you know, and it costs nothing. It can't hurt and it costs nothing. So it's not like you're taking some kind of, you know, questionable supplement or you're, um, you know, you're not, uh, you're not spending $2,000 on, on wheels or $4,000 on wheels. You're just using the colorful language that comes naturally to maybe some of you. So I'm always a big fan of interventions that, that fall into the, the free and harmless, um, uh, buckets. <laughs> Yeah, harmless to yourself, maybe, depending on who's around you, it could be seen <laughs> otherwise. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you dug up another one. Um, there was a, a cross-cultural comparison of British and Japanese participants. I'm curious to hear about this one, because we do have uh, uh, an international audience. Yeah, so this one was really interesting for me, and it actually highlighted some of my own naivety for culture. Um, so I didn't realize that in the Japanese language, there's not necessarily swear words, um, huh. but it's more centered around being offensive. So because the, the Japanese culture is highly respect-based, um, if you talk to someone in kind of a condescending manner, um, at least this is my understanding, and I, I, you know, I apologize if I'm getting this wrong and I welcome any corrections on it, but um, if you talk to someone in a condescending ma manner, um, that's kind of the equivalent for Japanese swearing. Hmm. Um, so now that being said, there are a lot of cultures that are adopting English swear words now. Um, so for example, um, when you're watching something, there was a, a show on Netflix that was in Icelandic. Um, but the one word that I did recognize was when they do swear in English. So, um, so there is some kind of cross-cultural adaptation and I would say that probably media, uh, popular media is responsible for that. So seeing movies and things like that. 
um, because people often see swearing as being cool or a rite of passage. Hmm. So that was interesting. But what they found in this study was that even when Japanese people were saying fuck, um, it was a benefit to them. Um, so they, they did note that the Asian cultures tended to experience more pain. Um, they didn't say why, but they did notice an improvement as well. So even if English wasn't their first language, swearing did help to alleviate pain a little bit, um, even though it's not native to their, their culture or their language. So that was super interesting, which to me says that the brain is doing some kind of release, some kind of emotional release. And doing something that you know is taboo um, might have some something to do with it. Interesting. Um, I'm not a psychologist, but uh, it's it's super interesting to hear that because, well, first of all, I learned something about Japanese culture, but uh, secondly, just the fact that swearing does have kind of a, you know, it's it's deep in your lizard brain basically. So somewhere in evolution, there was probably some reason to. Um, you know, scream like a primal scream that would help alleviate pain um, for the cavemen. So hmm. that's an interesting that's an interesting thought because you know there might be you know this the situations during which you may want to be screaming maybe are situations where um, a lower uh, perception of pain would be beneficial to survival. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you're if you're being chased by that proverbial saber-toothed tiger and you're, you know, screaming in terror, perhaps the fact that you uh, stepped on a Lego, uh, oh, that, that may be <laughs> anachronistic, just speaking from my own experience, uh, stepped on a Lego um, or a sharp pointy rock uh, is, is less relevant to your running away from, from that saber-toothed cat. So you're saying they didn't find Lego in those... 20,000 year old caves. Well, just like is you're, that, you're uh, not a psychologist. I am not an archeologist. <laughs> I think <laughs> this is what happens okay. when we record late at night for me. And after kind of a, a hard and somewhat frustrating bike ride where I should, I definitely did swear a lot, actually speaking of which, <laughs> especially when my ass hit the ground uh, uh, on those uh, streetcar tracks. There you go. Perfect application. Yes. So this, this transfers right over to, to real life yeah. within hours of, <laughs> of us talking about it. Full circle. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So it's just uh, an interesting little thing. I thought it was super cool to hear that your mind works this way. And it does show, to me, it shows the power of your brain, which we've talked about time and again. Um, the placebo effect is well documented. Things like this, it's not a surprise to hear that it happens, but it's just a cool little application. So hmm. if you hear someone swearing coming up behind you in a race, uh, you better dig in because <laughs> they're coming hard. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're, using, they're using psychological techniques to out, uh, outrace you. Yep. This is a bit of an aside, but and I, I really have to dig up where I saw this. But there is there are some um, exercise psychologists that make the distinction between pain and perception of effort, um, and maybe that's just a uh, kind of a categorization technique where uh, rather than thinking about discomfort during uh, racing or hard training as pain, um, kind of switching it and thinking about it as discomfort and not pain uh, is can be performance enhancing in and of itself uh, because pain is almost always negative um, but discomfort's a little bit easier to potentially uh, you know put in that put in that bucket and dissociate yourself from um, and but importantly I remember seeing that there were there were similar studies in specifically in exercise physiology where swearing was, uh, I don't know to what extent. I can't remember what the the magnitude of the effect was, but it it was found to be 
significantly uh, ergogenic as well. So it uh, it alleviated the discomfort of uh, of physical exertion in a similar manner to um, you know alleviating pain in the studies that you found. Very interesting. the The brain just continues to fascinate me. I'm sure there will be no yes. no end to that. Um, it's it's just unbelievable what kind of power your brain has. We got to get a proper sports psychologist yes. on the show because yes. I think it's that's such a it's. I mean, it's one of those. You know, we talk about this all the time, Andrew, about how um, as many you know as 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 many really interesting things as are happening in sport right now, and uh, as you know, the, 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 pop, the broader athlete population adopts these innovations and, and these innovations make them faster. There are still quite a few rocks that have not been turned. And I think we're certainly starting to look under the, <laughs> the psychology rock, but it's, uh, I think there's still some, some performance enhancing um, changes or, or interventions that can be found there. For a lot of people. And just kind of touching on that, and I don't want to get too deep into this because I am not an expert and take take everything I, I say with a grain of salt. Um, but I know that some some races, like I'll start off the race and I just think this is tough. Like I'm, you know, for whatever reason, the swim just doesn't start off the way I, I want it to. And it's like you give up. Um, you, you try not to, but your brain is just like, okay, let's just get to the finish line. And then the effort just isn't there. So the, the RPE throughout the race is a bit higher, um, for given speed or power. Um, and it's just kind of, yeah, it all goes to shit from right there. Um, so I've, I've noticed this several times and then there've been other times when I have phenomenal races where it's like you get in the water and, um, and then just everything seems to go well. So uh, and, and again, it's all mindset. So for me coming in, I can push harder when I feel like I'm having that good day, um, just for the mm. perceived effort. So it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing how much control with practice and obviously some people are better at it than others, but certainly with practice, we can all become better at it. How much control we have potentially over that mindset. You know, it is something that to a large extent with the proper training, you train it just like you would train, you know, any element of your physiology, um, how much control that you can exert over this. Um, and that's, that's, you know, that's, that's where those performance enhancing effects come in. But yeah, as you say, that that's a topic for another show and with a, with a proper expert. <laughs> so maybe the homework that I'll put out there to our listeners is, uh, if you don't swear often and maybe you don't have kids around, but if you don't swear, um, try going through a hard interval workout and just see, do you perform better if you swear? Um, so, I mean, it's, it's far from a controlled scientific study, but it'd just be interesting to hear that initial feedback from people. Um, and then I would take some small sense of pride in just making more people swear. So. For sure. And for, for extra bonus points, folks, if you record yourself swearing while doing a, a workout and then send us that recording, you will get like an ultimate high five and we'll put you on there. Just, you know, we'll, if, if we get enough of these submissions, we'll do a little, a little cursing medley for maybe for our premium subscribers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that you guys want to hear this, but well, if we do get submissions, we are, we're going to put them on there. I, I like I, it. You have my word. Yeah. With a, dis, with a disclaimer up front, I suppose. And, and the more languages we hear you swear in the, the better. Yeah. Extra bonus points. If you swear in a language, I do Ooh. not understand, which is, this has turned into a really interesting challenge. Yes. <laughs> All right. So there you go. Have at it. 
Um, okay, so uh, let's let's talk about um, some aerodynamics because you know why, how could we do a show without talking about aerodynamics? And this was actually the funny story here is that uh, we were going to do this in our last I've been thinking about episode, and I even said that we were going to talk about something else aerodynamic after the shoes. Uh, and then we didn't because we forgot, and that's what happens. So, well, technically, we uh, are talking about it after the shoes, just a little bit further down the road than we yeah, meant to. Yeah, just two or two or three weeks later. So I've been um, I've been playing around a little bit with the uh, the Notio Aero Notio. Sorry, guys. Sorry, Notio guys. The Notio Aerometer. Uh, as you remember, we had um, their engineers on a few weeks back. Uh, talking about the, the device and how they've uh, they've updated it in the last couple of years since it's been out. Um, I didn't use it at all last year because it wasn't um, it wasn't quite cooperating. There was a, a firmware issue which which they were kind enough to solve. And then by the time I got it back, uh, I wasn't riding my TT bike anymore because I was in a different phase of training. Uh, you didn't need that anecdote, but there you have it anyway. Uh, so now I have the opportunity to actually give it a shot. And um, interestingly, one of the nice things that's come out of the uh, COVID not quite quarantine in Toronto is that our city has been pretty good about improving cycling infrastructure. And one of the, specifically one of the things they've done, and this is only temporary, sadly, is that on weekends, they have closed certain major roads or or parts of major roads. So uh, the most exciting part of this is that, um, for those of you who live in Toronto or know what Toronto is like, uh, about a six or seven kilometer stretch of Lakeshore in the west end of the city is closed. And it's a three, it's, it's, it's a six lane road. It's real big, but they close half of it. Um, and so you get three lanes that are only uh, available for cyclists and rollerbladers and uh, runners, although runners tr- tend to stay away. Um, and so it's, it's a great little spot because it's flat. It's by the lake. It's really pretty. And it's cycling only on, on weekends. And so one of the, uh, the fun elements of that is that I can actually now do some reasonable aero testing without having to either ride, you know, at least 25 kilometers out of the city or, or drive somewhere. So that's super fun for me. Thank you, city of Toronto government. That's pretty cool. I didn't realize that was something that had been done. Yeah. They're also, they also added uh, 40 kilometers. They just approved 40 kilometers of new cycling infrastructure, which for, for our European listeners doesn't sound like much, but trust me, if you're in North America, that's like hitting the jackpot and uh, it's on our major arterial roads too. So it's uh, um, hopefully it's going to be permanent right now. It's temporary uh, during, you know, during the, during the the pandemic, but uh, hopefully it stays because you know, the world's changing in many ways. And one of the good ways it's changing as Andrew and I've talked about a bunch of times is that um, hopefully increasing cycling infrastructure. So just as a quick side note, anyone who's in Toronto, um, if they want to, reach out to their their city council member and, and mention that this is something they appreciate. I think that would go a long way to helping something like this stick around longer or coming back next summer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, please do that, Torontonians. Uh, anyway, so back to the uh, digression over, back to my my experience with the no-show. Um, played around with it a couple of times, um, once on my TT bike, once on my road bike, and um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting device. Um, one of the major changes that they've, uh, they've put in place, the, the, the folks at NoShow is that now using their app, um, and it's, it's kind of neat how the app talks to Garmin 
and then talks and then everything talks to the Notio sensor itself. You don't even need a Garmin to uh, to do to record with it. You can actually just use their um, mobile device app, uh, iOS and I believe Android as well. Um, but in the past, what you had to do is you had to ride and whether or not you were doing testing or free rides like the, the, the guys at No Show talked about, um, then you had to download the data, come home, open up their version of Golden Cheetah, which is, for those of you who don't know, is is a, is a, any kind of endurance sport analytics software. So it's like um, WKO from, you know, from Peaksware, from the guys that make Training Peaks. That's probably the closest analog. Um, but it's free, so it's uh, it's kind of the nerds nerd. It's like you know Unix for bike nerds, I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know anything about Unix, so you know I'm making that up. Um, so anyway, so this the software was was heavy into analytics, and you could you could do CDA analysis using the software, and that was the only way you could do CDA analysis with the Notio, which kind of made it a little bit user unfriendly, I would say. I mean, you had to really know what you were doing. There was a very specific protocol for analyzing rides. And um, they had what they called the live CDA feature, which didn't work well at all for a couple of reasons I'll talk about in a minute. So you could do some good baseline testing with it if you were if you had good repeat if you could design a good experiment, um, but you had to know how to use the software and dig in. So the big update from then to now, and I'm sure there's tons of hardware updates and other software firmware updates that I'm not mentioning because I don't know what they are. Uh, but the user experience big change is that now their app does. Um, does on-the-spot CDA calculation. So the idea is uh, you strap the device on, you um, use the app to enter some um, some parameters, and these parameters are really important. They are weight uh, with you plus the bike and all your gear. So basically you get kitted up, you hold up your bike, you can hold it over your head and take a photo if you like, like you know, so many Instagram photos, and you stand on a scale. So you probably don't want to you know, maybe show what's on the scale because at least in my case it was not, uh, it was not very <laughs> flattering. So you get, you get a total you know, kilo or pound mass for your whole assembly with all your bottles and everything and you and the bike. Um, and you, you log that into the, into the app. You also are asked to log in the CRR, which is the coefficient of rolling resistance, which is a little bit of a, a little bit of a guess actually. Um, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and then you, you go ride and when you go ride, you're, you're meant to do an out and back, uh, that's at least two kilometers. That's anywhere from two to four kilometers, I believe, uh, each way. So you, you have to have some clear roads where you don't have to, where you don't hit red lights, where you don't have major obstructions, where you have to slow down or stop, uh, at least two kilometers out and as much as four kilometers out. And then you turn around, do a 180 and then come back along the same way, obviously. So the idea is you kind of zero out the, any kind of, uh, wind effects, um, and any kind of elevation effects. Although the Notio has a uh, uh, quite an accurate uh, barometric altimeter, and based on your mass, it has a pretty good idea of what you know, kind of the gravity component of power would be, but or energy. I think the the point that uh, they've made in the past is that the sensor, as good as it is, isn't perfect. So if you can find even more consistent conditions, then you're you're not getting any potentially error prone data thrown in there. So it just it provides you with a cleaner overall analysis. Totally. You're, yeah, you're absolutely right. And it, I, my, my experience bore that out. So I did, um, I did one run on Lakeshore on my road bike and, you know, got a number, which was like, well, that's a really high number. This was on my cross bike with, with slicks, but with, you know, cross wheels and not in a very, you know, just like, just on my hoods. Um, I think I got something like 
0.35 or 0.36 or something like that, which is not, you know, with my, with my, let's say well-endowed legs, that was, that's not an unreasonable number. Um, and then I, and then I went another time on my, <clears throat> on my time trial bike. And this time, unfortunately, the stretch of Lakeshore was clo- was not closed to traffic. So there were no bikes on it. Uh, so I had to use, um, uh, part of Bayview Avenue, which is closed, which is exactly two kilometers end to end. And, uh, Bayview is okay, but it's, it's, it's rolling. So there's definitely, you know, a little bit of elevation and it also has, I think two or three bridges, which has some really weird aerodynamic effects, I suspect, because of, you know, the, what, what the wind does in those, in those, uh, bridges. So it was, it was not ideal, but, um, you know, I, I did my passes and I, and I tried and I made some changes to my position on the, on the TT bike. I lowered my stack by 30 millimeters, which was less uncomfortable than I thought it would be. I uh, certainly wouldn't want to do an Ironman in that position, but you know, probably, probably do a sprint or something. Um, and I could really appreciate my, you know, my COVID body <laughs> limitations <laughs> when I, when I drop my, when I drop my, my front end stack. Um, uh, but it was consistent, right? Which is good, right? You, you, you know, I, uh, I made, I, I did a, I did three passes, two baseline, and then one with a lower stack, and the numbers were consistent. I think they were, uh, my with the lowest stack was 0.247, and I was the, I had two others that were 0.251 and 2.253, I think. So they were in the ballpark. So that's kind of the my first smell test. So, you know, if if in the, holding the same position, and I'm pretty good about discipline um, as far as my aero position. Although there are other cyclists on this stretch of Bayview, so you can't just go head down and as if you're in a race on a closed road. You kind of have to pop your head up every now and then to make sure you don't, you know, smoke the little kid on a on a bicycle. Um, but they were, you know, they were within within the ballpark, and they were also actually under within the ballpark of what we tested me on um, using the virtual wind tunnel. Excellent. I think my last test was kind of like in the, I want to say like two five one. So it was right, right, right there. So that made me feel pretty good. It was on a different bike, but again, you know, my position probably hasn't changed that much. So and the bikes, as we've talked about, don't make that much of a difference to to bottom line CDA numbers. So it was. A fairly good, it was, it was repeatable. The repeatability was there, which is my number one thing. Like if I'm going to get a number, you know, even if it's not crazy accurate, even if I can't say, okay, this is exactly the right CDA. I'm very confident about this number. As long as it's repeatable, I can at least say that if I make a change, like in my case, if I drop my stack or if I put on a different suit or if I put on a different helmet or if I change wheels or rearrange my bottles or do any of those, you know, aerodynamic interventions, um, you know, if, if I, if result B is in the same kind of ball, you know, it's, is affected by all the same things as result A, then at least it's repeatable. And that's useful. And I think um, I would make the argument that repeatability is far more important than having the absolute accuracy. Um, and I know with power meters, DC Rainmaker and GP Llama have made this argument as well. Um, they do like accurate numbers, but overall, like if you're basing an effort on what you see on the screen, um, having a repeatable number as opposed to something that reads 10% high, 10% low, but it gives you the right a- average. Um, you want to have that repeatability because it helps you gauge your efforts. Uh, likewise, this helps you gauge your the changes that you're making. So any intervention that you 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 have, um, you can determine whether or not that actually does make an impact, as opposed to just having noisy data where you can't you can't isolate the change. Like, is it just 
you know, the, the experimental noise that you're seeing, or is it actually the change in your skin suit or your position? Yep. So you bring up an awesome point and that's noise. Um, and this is a, an element where I think it, it really is important for anyone using a sensor like this, unless there's a sensor that's much, much better than the Notion right now, or the, the kind of the internal analysis is better. Um, that there, you have to take you. You have to understand that there is going to be noise in the system. So you know, one you know, some of the ways to to get rid of the noise is you do a lot of passes, for example, and you start averaging things out. But then you know, who has that kind of time? Um, you know, you could do you know you could do three or four passes if you wanted really better data per setup, right? So if you're out there trying to do trying to test more than a couple of setups or, you know, if you have a baseline and if you want to test more than maybe two, two variations from the baseline, that's really hard to do. And the important thing too, is that it has to happen on the same day for you to trust that data. Because one of the, um, and we've talked about this when we had the no-show guys on, uh, one of the limitations of their device is it does not measure side wind, right? It only has the pitot tube because it's only a single tube. It cannot, it, it only measures wind or airflow in the zero yaw direction. So anything that's hitting you from the side is not being taken into account. So what does that mean? If you've, uh, if you've ever looked at the, you know, at the CDA or drag watts or however you want to measure drag uh, across yaw angles, you'll notice that it's not a flat line, that it, that it changes according to the, to the yaw angle. So if on day one you get a zero wind condition, you'll get a certain result. But then if on day two you've got you know, a 15-kilometer, 20-kilometer-hour wind that's 90 degrees to your direction of travel, that's a very different yaw number. You know, that might be, depending on how fast you are, you know, 10, 15, 20 degrees of yaw. Uh, so it's, it's a very kind of different situation where the numbers that the device will spit out at you will be higher or lower depending on that on that yaw angle. So that's all to say that you have to do this comparative testing. And I agree with you that repeatability is more important than accuracy. This comparative testing all in one go. And so this is where I think the no-show device and similar devices are useful. If you are, you know, if you're saying this is my data test, I'm going to go out and I have this nice, you know, fairly total, well, not fairly, totally safe place I can ride in my optimized position. I'm not going to hit traffic lights. I'm not going to get hit by a car. I'm not worried about running over a tricyclists. I'm not, you know, it's, it's pretty safe to do what I need to do. Um, and you can focus on, on executing your, you know, your race pace kind of, uh, kind of work. Um, and you have a bunch of time to do a bunch of passes. You can get some good data. I think, that's I feel fairly confident in saying that. Uh, as far as getting kind of live CDA, which they don't call it that anymore, and I think that's a smart marketing move because it's I think it's a little bit of a misnomer. Um, one of the things that the Notion will do is it'll display you know your current CDA, and I think the smoothing is sixty seconds. So it's taking a sixty second average, so it's a pretty big moving average. So it's not like you know you sit up that CDA won't jump up right away. It'll take some time for for the the you know the average to filter through. Um, but that is affected by way too many things to be useful. And that's my impression. I mean, I've only been, listen, I've only used it three times. Um, and so I could very well be wrong. But my first impression, second, third impression, is that that number is not super useful. Unless, again, you're in a very nice tight position and going in a straight line, not taking turns, um, and your course is just, you know, straight, 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 straight. Um, but the testing is, is useful provided you can, you can kind of meet the, you know, the 
right conditions and you can do a few of those a few of those passes because this is one of those cases where uh kind of the the adage of garbage in garbage out applies uh, very in in force because if you screw up you know your weight or if you screw up your rolling resistance or if you i mean i guess the repeatability will still be the same but um um, if you are in a in an area where the the winds are variable or in heavy traffic where you get uh, gusts of wind because traffic passes you by when when a big body passes you by it'll have kind of weirdo effects uh, aerodynamic effects and uh, no show says that they filter some of those out in their in their um, in their app software but as much as you can trying to control uh, those uh, kind of those circumstances and have a clean run or several runs, that's when you can get the real utility of that device. So for kind of for individual users, for individual athletes, um, you know, if you're a big aero nerd like Andrew and myself, I think it's super fun to play with. I really enjoy having it on my bike every time I ride. Um, but as far as, you know, the utility that you get from it, unless you really like tweaking things, um, I don't know that it's, that it's, um, that it's huge right now. And one more thing I'll say, cause I know this has been a long diatribe, um, <laughs> is that the, if you're, if you're looking at kind of marginal gains changes, like changing bottle, you know, positions of, of water bottles and things and changing, you know, um, some other things that are, that are pretty marginal, like, uh, small positional changes. Uh, sometimes they're actually not marginal. Sometimes they're really big deltas, but um, because the accuracy of the device isn't great and so many things can affect it, I would argue that you won't, you, you will, you will not see the, um, the, you will not see the, the, the effects of the changes you've made, those marginal changes through the, through the signal noise, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you brought up a, a bunch of interesting points there. Um, so first of all, what I like is that it's a good validation tool. Um, the, the one or the biggest argument I've heard against it is just the amount of time it takes to test and the requirement for good conditions. So if you're waiting three weeks to find a day that's not windy, like you would if you were in Calgary, because uh, <laughs> there's like every day is windy here. Um, never seen anything like it, but uh, this would not be an appropriate place to use it. Well, I think as long as the winds are fairly steady, you could be you would be okay. And especially if you could find like you know, if you could head into head into the wind and head out and, you know, into the wind and then back out of the wind. I know um, I know uh, our friend uh, Tilbury Davis uses. Uh, geez, I actually just looked up what the name of the device is, but like a wind meter um, and where which tells you the direction and the speed of the wind in real time, as opposed to looking at the weather channel. Anemometer. Um, is that what and, you're... Yeah, that's that's <laughs> it. that's the one. Um, and you could, you know, you could say, okay, this is pretty, pretty close to zero yaw conditions and it's not too, too gusty and, and, and weird. Um, you could probably be okay with wind too, as long as it was, as long, you, you're looking for steady state. You just don't want too much variability. The, the biggest problem I notice is that the larger the magnitude of the wind, the larger the magnitude of the fluctuations as well. And that's the nature of turbulence. Hmm. So, um, it's, it's likely that on a windier day, you're going to have more variation. So maybe on average, it's about the same, but it, it could contribute to noise. So if you can find a day that's less windy, then definitely you're going to have better results out of that. I can't say for sure. Haven't, haven't tested that. Um, we do have one at the, the four eyes office. So, um, maybe I can get permission to go back in the building because <laughs> it's all locked down with COVID right now. Strap it on. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm very curious to try it out. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting 
interesting details and data that can come out of it. Um, maybe it's not absolute measurements, but um, even looking at something like your 60 second average, like if you're, if you're uncomfortable on the bike or if you're shifting on your saddle, you might see some of these numbers borne out in the data. And mm-hmm. I think there is there is a lot of potential. Um, it will take a lot of data crunching and a lot of analytics to, to be able to fully filter and isolate this for race conditions, for example. But I think there's a lot of information that could be gained from it. Um, so I'm, I'm not... I'm not trying to dismiss it at all. I'm, uh, there, there are limitations. As long as you realize those limitations, you can use this as a very effective tool. I agree, and I think currently, like this, just to summarize what I was saying, I think currently it's you can make a strong case for it as a testing tool. Um, and if any of you are in Toronto, and we're you know we're now allowing, well, not Toronto yet, but well, Toronto is up to five people can get together as long as you're socially distant. Um, if you want to do, uh, if anyone wants to do some testing, uh, we can, we can set that up because I, obviously I have one of these things. Uh, but as far as live kind of making, making decisions in the moment about what you're doing wrong or right, or, uh, using that live, you know, they don't call it live CDA, but using the, 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 the displayed CDA as you ride, I think the limitations there are, it's a problem with too many variables. There are too many potential contributing factors to, changes in CDA. Um, and I don't know that an athlete, especially in race conditions when there are, the cognitive demands are already high, I don't know that an athlete can really make the changes that are required to, to, to make it better. Um, so, you know, uh, I could be, I could be wrong. Obviously some people are wired differently than other people. And certainly, um, with, uh, you know, kind of with improvement in the analytics software, I think well, I think it could it could be a more useful in the moment device. Yeah, there's there's certainly potential for it. So it could be just in the next year or two they they get the firmware to a point where it's able to do some of those calculations on the fly. Uh, maybe incorporating additional data, so having the wind direction that might be actually something that allows you to dissociate these different variables. But it is a it is mm-hmm. a complex problem for sure. And Absolutely. it's, uh, you know, the, the testing time that it takes uh, is not insignificant either. So that was the other comment that I wanted to make. Like if you've got a bike that you need to adjust, the, the P5, this fellow P5 is the example that always comes up. Oh my this. goodness. Yeah. That's, so yeah, that's the worst. <laughs> your, your response says it all. Uh, but every bike fitter that I've talked to has complaints about this and how they need to refeed, uh, refeed the brake lines through and rebleed everything. And there's proprietary spacers and you're looking at, uh, in some cases, two to three hours to change the stack height. So that is something that's not insignificant. So for you to do multiple tests without conditions that are changing, that's extremely difficult. Um, so what... Uh, I actually get this question quite often when I'm talking to potential customers about virtual wind tunnel, but they say, why should I do the virtual route versus having an on-bike sensor? And really my answer is that they serve different purposes. A lot of people see them as overlapping, but I see them as tools that you use in different places. So the Mm -hmm. area that the virtual wind tunnel works on, and I'm not trying to steal the direction of this conversation with it, but uh, the predictive or testing out the different design space, essentially. So if you want to test a different stack height, if you want to test a different helmet, that's stuff that's very easy to test virtually. Um, And then you, you adapt those changes and then you go out and ride and confirm that, yes, I have made an improvement or no, I haven't. 
Um, so it's it's a good validation to the testing, and that's really how a lot of uh, the aerospace industry works, or Formula One, or other high end aerodynamic devices, or, or mm-hmm. um, machines, or equipment. yeah, they go to the tunnel to validate, right? They do everything, and yes, they do everything with CFD first. Yeah, because tunnel time is expensive. Testing time is super, super expensive. And sure. in general, computers are pretty cheap. Um, engineers are relatively cheap compared to <laughs> running a, a wind tunnel that's uh, hundreds of kilowatts and thousands of dollars per hour. Um, yeah. So that stuff is just, yeah, it's prohibitively expensive to develop on that, but it's fantastic for uh, for validation. One thing, I'll, like, this is a bit of an aside. One thing I'll say is that I can see why track teams love it because uh, and when we when we had uh kurt bergen taylor on the show a little while back he was he said that he, he you know uh, team canada uses the device because the track is the perfect place for it because you can mm-hmm. control so many of the variables you know what the coefficient of rolling resistance is with very high precision because the track surface is perfect you know what you can you know you can control tire pressure and then you have a very good idea of what crr is you know that you know what the wind conditions humidity. are Exactly. Yeah. You're like, you're spot on. I mean, so it has, the NoShio has a temperature sensor and a humidity sensor. But again, like anytime you, you need a sensor, especially like a compact sensor in a small package, that's, that it creates its own kind of error conditions. And I, uh, you know, we, we can, we can talk about how much, how, what sort of magnitude of error it's going to be. It's not going to be huge. Um, but for instance, rolling resistance is, is a big potential source of error. Um, and yeah, and even like the the barometric altimeter for um, for uh, uh, gravity, uh, you know, the gravity effects of of power. Um, that's that's a big one too. For the real scientific nerds out there, uh, you can do something called a, a root sum squared uncertainty analysis. So basically, you're combining the magnitude of the different uncertainty. Uh, for different sensors, and you can figure out what kind of un- overall uncertainty you would have. So a lot of academic papers, a lot of engineering papers will have some some analysis like this where they they look at um, how sensitive is my load, uh, load cell, how sensitive is my um, hygrometer, so humidity detection. And you can factor all those in, in into the final calculation, like how much will humidity change the air viscosity or the air density. And mm-hmm. how might that impact your your force calculation or your drag calculation? So it all comes into play. Um, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole because <laughs> 99.9% of the listeners are falling asleep. And then maybe there's one person out there who's like, yeah, talk more about root sum squared error. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we can have a separate conversation if someone else is interested in that. <laughs> I love it. So I think it's, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of good information that we've gone over here. Um, At the risk of maybe upsetting that one person who wants to hear me talk more about uncertainty (laughs) analysis, maybe we'll wrap it up. Um, But I think, yeah, there's, there's a lot of value with a sensor like the, the Notio Connect and, and the other aero sensors. It's just, it is to some extent an engineering tool. So you have to treat it that way. But, um, but with that being said, I'm very excited to test it. So uh, now that the weather is finally above 15 degrees and not raining here, um, I'm happy to get outside and ride. And I will hopefully be able to provide some of my own feedback very soon on that. Yeah, I uh, I couldn't agree more. I think that was a really that was a really nice summary, Andrew. That it is an engineering tool, and that's at its at its current stage of development. And this isn't, you know, this is in no way a knock against Notio. Um, this is just 
the nature of the beast. Like aerodynamics is a, it's a tough problem. Yeah, exactly. It's a very complicated, no straightforward kind of, kind of science. And we've got a very long way from the, you know, the old slow twitch, um, analysis of like, is this faster <laughs> or is this tunnel. faster? Yeah, the, that's right. The, 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 um, the profile photo wind tunnel. Yeah. To where we are today. Yeah. I think we've definitely covered the full gamut here with talking about swearing and pain to aerodynamic sensors. So <laughs> that's, um, you know, maybe that's a good place to wrap it up. So uh, with that, um, you know, we welcome any feedback and and the uh, the swearing examples that we mentioned earlier. So yes, I would love please. to have that in a separate episode. Maybe that can be part of our opening music. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> that would be just fun. stick those in every once in a while. <laughs> that would be those would be good for um for we I've I've been looking for a long time for transition sounds, you know where you're where they just you know the, the the topic of conversation shifts or there's no good way to make a there's no you know transition word that I can find or a breath or something something like uh you know somebody going like fuck what might be uh that the music right back in there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right it would uh, it would cue the audience to the fact that we're shifting gears. So with that being said, uh, let's wrap things up here. But uh, thank you once again, everyone for listening. And as Michael usually chimes in, I'll try it this time. But uh, please rate and review us if you like the podcast. And let us know if you have any comments. We always love hearing, uh, hearing your feedback and just hearing any suggestions that you have. Yeah. And of course, if you do, if you really like us, then uh, join our growing group of uh, supporting members. Um, You'll get your questions answered first. Uh, you may get some bonus content and uh, first dibs on swag, which continues to be in the works, but I promise that it is. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.